Our text for meditation on this 19th Sunday after Trinity is our Old Testament reading, Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Hear the word of our Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a hard truth to tell you, beloved, but I hope that it helps in our walk with the Lord. The difficult thing I want to express here is that when it comes to spiritual experiences, so much ink and paper have been wasted that we should apologize to God for needlessly using up the resources he has so graciously given us. Men and women for thousands of years have written down their visions, dreams, meetings with angels, symbolic gestures, and a whole host of other things, all for nothing. Totally, completely in vain. Now, am I saying that these were all hallucinations or that none of their experiences actually happened? Am I accusing the mystics of being liars? Of course not. Not all of them, anyway. I am certain that many of them have had real interactions with angels or demons, and perhaps even a few have truly heard from God himself. It is not whether or not it happened, though, that should determine whether it was truly meant to be shared with others, or even written down in the first place. Beloved, any sort of mystical experience must have agape goodwill towards others if it is to be communicated. From 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If you go about seeking spiritual experiences, collecting them through meditations and fasting periods and deep esoteric study, but forgetting love of God and love for your neighbor, then you are guilty of spiritual hedonism. You are seeking an experience for its own sake, perhaps hoping to have a personal gratification, maybe to feel special, puffed up, or to feel more secure in your own faith. 
but ultimately running the same rat race as the drug addict seeking the perfect high or the skirt chaser trying to bed every woman he sees. Maybe you make it, finally achieving that beatific vision or that sight of the Tabor light or the perfect practice of the presence of God. Maybe. But again, if it is not done with love for God and goodwill toward your neighbor, then you have truly achieved nothing. None of these experiences died for you. None of them save you and get you into heaven. None of them serve as evangelism. If you wrote a book detailing all the fantastic things you see, chances are the most you will do, maybe, is convince someone they should dabble with mystical practices as well. But you have not won a single soul for Christ. You have not encouraged someone who is broken, and you have not done jack squat to establish yourself as some super holy person. The Lutheran confessions are right to assail the enthusiasts, all of those who would seek God where God has not promised to be, all who would seek salvation with their senses rather than the gospel. For so few of these people, these heavenly prophets or divine mystics, come even within an inch of trusting in Christ Jesus, let alone teaching others to do so with their ravings. Of course, not all accounts of spiritual experiences are worthless. The experiences that men have had in Scripture are different. There's a point. There is a reason that these experiences are recounted in Holy Writ, namely that you should read them and see great benefit from them. In our Old Testament reading today, we have the famous account of Jacob's Ladder. Jacob travels until he is apparently so weary that a rock suffices for a pillow. He has a fantastic dream, more like a vision really, in which he sees angels going up and down a ladder to heaven, and the Lord speaking a profound blessing on him. It is the same blessing and promise that our God gave to Abraham and Isaac, showing that indeed Jacob was to become the third patriarch of our great faith and tradition. Jacob rightly fears God after this and proclaims that the place he was in was Bethel, or house of God, and that the gate of heaven resided there. In relating this spiritual experience of our forefather, you might be tempted to see only a verification of the claim Israel had over the land of Canaan. Moses wrote this during Israel's wilderness wanderings, and it does indeed show that our Lord chose Jacob over Esau his brother even though Esau was the older of the two. This vision demonstrates the power of God's promises and predictions. But does such an explanation really benefit you, beloved? Does the God who says he loves you more than anyone else possibly could simply want you to know that the Israelites had a verified claim to a strip of land? Is that all this is? Well, the land is part of this, Far be it from me to presume that such a dry, materialist view like that is the real message our merciful Lord wants to convey to us. But is it just a view to how heaven works? Oh, how the mystics thirst for it to be simple exposition of heavenly reality. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The moment we hear that there is a ladder which connects heaven and earth, goodness do those mystics start salivating. Ah, God has revealed something to us. This will make us holy, they say, as they rub their hands together. 
and they start working on their Kabbalah or Ladder of Divine Ascent, or they start ruminating on their interior castle or whatever, missing the message that God was giving to Jacob in that moment. Worse than seeing this as a mere material claim, and worse yet than seeing this as just a special revealing, there are also commentators trying to turn this into an advocacy of works that make the vision a graceless affair. In his homilies on St. John's Gospel, John Chrysostom has the following to say about Jacob's ladder, quote, And so, mounting as it were by steps, let us get to heaven by a Jacob's ladder. For the ladder seems to me to signify in a riddle by that vision the gradual ascent by means of virtue, by which it is possible for us to ascend from earth to heaven, not using material steps, but improvement and correction of manners. Ah, yes, Chrysostom, turn this whole ordeal into a morality play, why don't you? This most esteemed and righteous church father interprets the latter as teaching you and me that we can just be super good people to earn our way to heaven. Gee, thanks, Chrysostom. Let's ignore the context of the entire episode and turn it into another one of your guilt-tripping work fests. Great job. Now, you might ask me why I'm being so harsh on these interpretations. Indeed, the vision of the latter tells us that Jacob's descendants had a claim to the land. And by all means, there being a ladder tells us something about how heaven and earth interact. I won't say a word defending Chrysostom's goofy misstep here, but I will say that I can't fault some of the commentators for seeing Christ in the vision. It is sensible for them to say that Jacob is seeing our Lord in this vision, and the ladder between heaven and earth show how he would one day incarnate. But I'm not espousing any of these as the real significance of the vision. Why is that? Because I know who Jacob is. Jacob the heel grabber. Jacob whose name means usurper and supplanter. Jacob the man who ended up as patriarch but started as a rat thief and manipulator who manipulated his brother into selling his birthright and stole his blessing. Jacob the deceiver and the limp-wristed mommy's boy who found himself sleeping on a pillow because he was fleeing. Before we speak of a single detail regarding the contents of this vision, we have to understand what is happening here. And what is happening in Genesis 28 is God speaking to a deeply, disturbingly unrighteous man. God comes up to a wicked sinner and pronounces a blessing upon him. Where else have we heard this before? We have heard this same thing happen in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse." and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Before he was named Abraham, the father of faith, Abram was a filthy pagan in Ur of the Chaldees, Mesopotamia. Abram engaged in cultic worship of false gods, most likely the lunar deity Nana of Ur, which the Mesopotamians honored with a fertility cult and an enormous ziggurat. Don't believe me? Do you think I'm dishonoring Abraham in speaking of this? 
Here is from Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Before God called him with a message of grace, Abram was involved with all the gross things pagans do. He was not a righteous man. God did not call Abram with a message of accusations or condemnations, though. God converted Abram with a promise. It is no coincidence that Jacob was on his way to Haran, where Abram departed from after his conversion. Both were close to the same place when God spoke to each of them. Just like Abram the pagan, Jacob the usurper deserved absolutely nothing good from our Lord. God does not tolerate the presence of sin. Psalm 5 verse 4 says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Yet just like Abram, God calls Jacob and brings him wonderful promises of great blessing in spite of this, because our God is the God who forgives. What more could this vision mean for Jacob except that he had been forgiven? What more could this mean for him but that God had overlooked his deceit, his covetousness, and his cowardice? Indeed, the text shows us that the same promise which was given to Abraham and Isaac was passed on to Jacob, that his children would inherit land, and his seed, our Lord Christ, would bless all of humanity. In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This would not have happened if God looked upon Jacob as he was, or Abram as he was. Both of these men, who had lived degenerate and ugly lives up until this point, were brought to repentance after our Lord overlooked their sins. And praise God for it. This promise which God gives to Jacob and his fathers is the same promise which is fulfilled in Christ. Without forgiveness given to Jacob, there would be no forgiveness given to you, beloved. Our Lord forgave Jacob in order to promise forgiveness to you. And this is the very substance of the vision. If you take away this gospel promise from the message to the patriarch, then it would be just another ecstatic vision by a man under extreme duress. If you take away the total grace given unto this man Jacob, so that total grace could be given to you, then there's qualitatively no difference between his spiritual experience and Bernard of Clairvaux's delusion that he had drank Mary's breast milk, inconsequential to you entirely. Jacob swore fealty to our Lord after this moment. It is the first time we see him having anything to do with God. That is how it is with all Christians, by the way. No one is converted by means of the law. It condemns, and we know quite well already that we are sinners. But Jacob believes in and trusts God, however imperfectly at first, because he has heard mercy from on high. So too do we believe in our Lord, not because we're so impressed by the morals presented in the Decalogue, but because he has fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in bringing Christ to die for our sins, blessing us with the promise of eternal life. Beloved, 
You need no grand vision of your own. You do not need to see a Tabor light or a beatific vision or anything like that to be saved. Chances are you waste your time if you devote your life to finding these things. To the contrary, you are given the vision of Jacob here, Jacob's ladder to see in the pages of Holy Scripture and rejoice. That spiritual experience given by another is a verification of the promise of salvation. The angels come down from that ladder to bring a message of forgiveness and ultimately of resurrection to you and all baptized believers in Jesus Christ, no matter how ugly the sins of their past. For if Jacob the former usurper and Abram the former pagan both receive forgiveness and a promise, mercy and grace, then so too do we receive these amazing things. Let us rejoice in God relating these experiences for our good through his love for us. And if we do end up having some vision or something happen to us, maybe it's legitimate. And if it is good, we can treasure it in our hearts as something that helps us in our personal faith. But may we rest upon the bedrock of God's word and his promises to us for free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the peace of our Lord, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.